Good morning. Well, we've been studying in the book of Mark, and we've been studying in Mark for some time. Today, we're covering Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31 and read through Mark 9, verse 1. The title of this section is The Cost of Discipleship. So if you would take a look, uh, let me read through that with you. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. As I said, the title of this passage is The Cost of Discipleship. The key question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to suffer for Jesus? Are we willing to suffer for Jesus? That's a critical question for us in this day in which we're living, in this culture in which we're living. This is an absolutely critical question. Peter has just correctly identified Jesus as the Christ. That's what he called him, the Christ that's the Greek term. If he said it in Hebrew, it was Messiah. Both Christ and Messiah have the same meaning. It means the anointed one. Jesus uses the term in verse 31 and 38 that we've just read. He uses the term son of man. Amazingly, Jesus used that term for himself 81 times in the Gospels. 81 times. It's from the book of Daniel, and Jesus uses it as a messianic title. And he startles his followers by informing that he, as the Son of Man, must, number one, suffer. Number two, be rejected. Number three, be killed. Four, be resurrected or rise again. Now, Peter and the disciples are aghast. They've seen Jesus feed the hungry, heal the sick, deliver the downcast and the demon-possessed. They've seen him argue with the Pharisees. But now Jesus uses words like be killed, be rejected. And Peter flat out loses it. He goes, time out, time out. You can't say that. He rebukes Jesus for his negative comments. 
He doesn't understand that Jesus is beginning his march to the cross. Jesus used the same pattern he used against Satan when Satan confronted Jesus in the wilderness and tried to divert him away from the cross. Then comes this critical verse that we've just just read that's outlined. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And so, as I said, the question we need to ask is, are we willing to suffer for Jesus? Now, no passage, I believe, is more appropriate for the biblical church in today's culture. Many have asked, well, how, how do we as the church respond to the culture in which we were living? This passage gives us the answer. Jesus tells us there are three things if you're going to survive. You need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross. And you need to follow him. If we want to live victoriously in the current culture, we must do all three. Each of the steps is significant. Each of the steps is necessary. I didn't say they were easy. They're not easy. Because our culture makes them especially difficult. Franklin Graham recently commented about our culture. He said it appeared that the demons of hell had been loosed in the streets. Christians are being assaulted on every issue. And I want you to know what the target is. Here's what they're targeting. They're targeting the Bible. The Bible is the authoritative basis for the Christian's words, actions, and attitudes. And the world we live in hates the Bible. Why? Because it contains admonitions. That is what we are to do. And it contains prohibitions. That which we are not to do. And those admonitions and prohibitions are especially about human sensuality. And they contradict the cultural norms. Therefore, the culture hates the Bible. They want it gone. They want it destroyed. They want it rejected. They also want institutions that follow the Bible gone. Culture has declared an all-out war on the Bible and on all who adhere to its principles. <clears throat> it's reached the point where we are the enemy if we hold to biblical principles. Now, this war has been going on a long time. This war is older than I am, if that's possible. But they, uh, this war has been going on for a long, long time. And uh, it is... It has now reached the point where it is a crescendo. It, is, it has gotten that intense. Bibles are being removed from society, be they libraries, uh, be they schools, whatever. Christian denominations are being ripped apart, torn apart, crushed, and uh, by those who are waging war against the Bible and its teachings. We have very good friends. I went to school with, with this gentleman, went to seminary with him, and his wife and, and he and our, our family became very good friends, and we're still friends today. 
and he's being torn apart. He's being absolutely decimated. He was a pastor in the second largest denomination in our country. His grandfather was a pastor in the same church. His father was a pastor in the church. He pastored 18 years he preached in the largest church in the state of Arkansas. He was a district superintendent for the whole state. He sits on the board of this denomination. His son is a pastor in the denomination. And he's being totally crushed by what's going on. The, the folks who are, have infiltrated the church and are trying to rip it apart from the Bible. And it's causing chaos. And this, this denomination is just being, uh, it's unbelievable. So I haven't heard such sadness come from him and his wife in all the years that we've known them. But that's how decimated they are by the war that's being waged on their beloved denomination. Church school, Christian schools are being assaulted for having Christian values. Think of that. That's really odd. Why would they have Christian values? <laughs> They're a Christian school. And we, we have... Uh, they're being assaulted because of the teaching of biblical truths. This past month, we saw the crucified Christ mocked in the streets of major cities in the most vile manner imaginable. Churches are being physically assaulted regularly. Christian principles are being outlawed. Seriously, being outlawed. I can see a day when jails will no longer house criminals, but will be filled with faithful followers of Christ who refuse to cave in to the culture. So what is the antidote? What is the cure? Well, let's go back and remember the state of the culture in which Jesus spoke. Now. The leaders of the Jewish faith in his day were steeped in self-righteousness, according to what we studied two weeks ago. I don't know if you remember the sermon, if you're here for it, but the title had to do with uh, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and beware of the yeast of Herod. Do you remember that? Okay. There was a reason Jesus said that. Jesus was warning the followers to avoid the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod Herod lacked self-control so much that you wouldn't believe it. Now, these were the leaders of the faith. It was horrible. It was so bad that Herod Antipas took the prophet John the Baptist and beheaded him because John pointed out Herod's sin of adultery and incest. And they were the supported, supposed leaders of the faith. That's right. Those who were supposedly leading the faith of the Jewish people were guilty of murder, guilty of adultery, guilty of incest, guilty of self-righteousness. God's prophet was beheaded because he challenged the evil activities of the leaders of the culture in Jesus' day. That was the moral climate into which Jesus called his disciples and followers together 
and told them to do three things. Deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow him. And that's the exact, the exact message we need today. First of all, he said, deny yourself. Now, why is that important? Well, theologians tell us the definition of sin is supreme self-gratification. In simple terms, it's a me-first attitude. The root of all sin is putting me first, above God, above all others. Let me, let me just dip into my testimony here. This described my heart exactly. I know what it means to put self first. It could have been written on my forehead. <laughs> John the Baptist said the first step to curing sin is to repent. To deny self is to repent. Get self off the throne of our lives. Put God on the throne of our lives. John the Baptist and Jesus started with the same step. Deny yourself. Repent. Replace self with God. Then Jesus says, take up your cross. Well, Jesus would later bear the cross from the center of the city all the way to Mount Calvary. He carried it. That upon which he would be sacrificed. And that after he had been brutalized beyond belief. He took up the cross and carried it to Calvary. So what was he saying to the crowd and to the disciples that day? He was saying, we must be ready. We must be willing to sacrifice. Now, there will be rough times if we stand with Jesus in this present age. Now, I don't care if you're post-trib or pre-trib or mid-trib with regard to the rapture. That doesn't isn't the issue to me today. There will be sacrifice in this present age if we follow Jesus. It will mean sacrifice to walk with Jesus. Jesus told us clearly that we will be persecuted as he is persecuted. There are infinite advantages to walking with Jesus. I know that. But do not be deceived. We will experience sacrifice. So let's review the first two things. Jesus said, deny yourself, which means repent. Take up your cross, which is going to end up with sacrifice. Then Jesus told the crowd and disciples, follow me. Now culture says, no, 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 no. Follow us. Follow us. And that, but that leads to eternal death. Jesus says, follow me. Now I can identify with this command of Jesus. You see, for most of my youth, I was a fan of God and Jesus. Most of my education was in the sciences. To be perfectly honest, my most spiritual experiences were in physics class. I saw God's design all around me, and then I saw him in creation. I became an avid fan of God as design, designer and creator. I remember studying the human eye, and I was amazed at what an incredible instrument is. I remember studying the human hand. What a machine. Even some of my professors would praise God's design and, and creation. I admired God for what he had made. 
I remember I was, when I first was confronted with a theory of evolution, I was told that everything existed, that everything that existed was the result of matter plus time plus chance. I rejected it as pure nonsense. I held strongly onto God as designer and creator. I was a fan of God. The bad news was I wasn't a follower of God. Yes, when, when we went to church, I would sing the hymns. Yes, I knew the Lord's Prayer. I knew the 23rd Psalm. I knew the Apostles' Creed. I knew the Nicene Creed. I rejoiced at the quality of the great hymns and the compositions and the lyrics. But my words, my actions, my attitudes, my motives were far from God. It was only when I confessed my sinfulness and my self-centeredness and repented. Then I believed in Jesus as my Lord and Savior and received him into my life to lead me. That's when I began the adventure of following Jesus. As the Bible describes it, it's like being born again. It was when I began to follow Jesus. It wasn't always a smooth transition. The roots of supreme self-gratification or sin were deep and stubborn. Fortunately, there were some fine folks who God provided to disciple me through the transition. And I came to understand that the Holy Spirit of God is critical to being born again. And the, the subsequent maturing in the faith and the comprehension of God's word are very much involved in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that's how I became, I went from being a fan of God to being a follower. So just to summarize Jesus' commands to his disciples and those around him, and to us, by the way, we need to deny self. In other words, repent. We need to take up our cross, which is going to mean sacrifice. And we need to follow Jesus, or be born again to a new creature in Christ, a servant of the living God. Now, I could continue to expound upon this, these three commands of Jesus, but I think it'd be more effective to give an example of a man who did these three things and did it effectively. His name is Pablo Rodriguez. I was serving as the head chaplain and director of criminal rehab at a large county jail on the west side of Chicagoland. One day, Pablo called our office, and he explained his situation to us. He was the senior pastor of a large Spanish church in Chicago. They had a wonderful radio ministry. The services were broadcast over the entire city of Chicago every week, and the church was thriving. The radio ministry was reaching thousands every week. But Pablo's doctor stepped in and said, due to serious health matters, he needed to retire. Well, <laughs> this, this was hard for him. Uh, he was told he just couldn't handle the stress and that he needed to step aside. This was crushing news. But he finally conceded to take the doctor's orders. His son, who had been assisting him as a pastor, took over the ministry of the church. 
and it's uh, broadcast. Uh, he called our office. He explained the situation. He asked us, is there any chance that you could use a Spanish chaplain, a Spanish-speaking chaplain? And we were delighted to have him join us. So several days a week, Pablo would come to jail, and he would meet with the Spanish-speaking inmates for individual counseling, evangelism. He taught Bible classes in Spanish. The inmates loved him. Whenever he held a class, I mean, the place would be packed. And even, he even ministered to the corrections officers as well. His attitude, his demeanor was contagious. And the correction officers began to pick up on this. Now, he could have retired. He could have rested at home like the doctor wanted him to do. But instead, he was walking the halls of the jail doing what God had called him to do. Then I got a call one day from Pablo. He said, Senor, the doctor said I need a wheelchair. My legs can't take the stress of so much walking. And my heart just sunk. <laughs> then he said, it's okay. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. I'll come to the jail anyhow. I'll have my wife put the wheelchair in the trunk and I'll give you a call and tell you I'll be there and you meet me in the parking garage and put me in my wheelchair and usher me through security and I'll continue to minister. I'll take it from here. Well, <laughs> I thought, okay, but anytime you make a change in a jail, you can't make changes that involve security and safety. You can't do that without the sheriff's permission. So I went to the sheriff. I said, Sheriff, I said, Chaplain Pablo is being confined to a wheelchair, but he'd like to come and minister using a wheelchair. What do you think? He said, you get him here. See, he had heard the difference he made in the attitude of the inmates. He had heard even, and this is miraculous, he was making a difference in the attitude of the corrections officers. <laughs> and so I told him the difficulty. I said, you mean he's going to have to come through security with a wheelchair? He said, get him here. Said, All right. All right. We'll get him here. So what happened was, he would have his wife put the wheelchair in the trunk. He would get in the car. He would call me. He says, I'll be there. Meet me in the parking garage. So I did. And I got the wheelchair out of the trunk. I got him into the wheelchair. And I wheeled him into security and got him through security. I said, do you need some help? He says, no. I'll take myself around. And he wheeled himself around that, that facility. He got in that chair. And he rolled himself around that huge facility, sharing Christ with the inmates and the officers. He taught all of his regular classes. He taught all of the Bible studies. It was amazing. At days in, I would put him back in the car, put the, the chair in the trunk, and he would leave for home. And I'd be amazed at how far he could go in that huge building every day, carrying out his ministry. 
Then one day I received a call that I had dreaded. Pablo had passed away. It was a hard day. It was a very, very hard day. They had a memorial service at the church. The crowds were so large that people came from all over Chicago to say goodbye to Pastor Pablo. He had touched so many lives for Jesus' sake. He had followed Jesus' commands explicitly to deny himself. Take up his cross and follow the Lord. And he had done so faithfully. And believe me, he was denying self in doing it. So we've read, we've read on the screen here Jesus' call on our lives to deny self or repent. Take up our cross, which means sacrifice, and follow Jesus as we're born again. We've heard a testimony of what this means in one's life. So now we come to the critical time of our response. What's our response going to be? How are, you going to hear, how are you going to respond to God's call? Remember, the, the original question is, are we willing to suffer for Jesus? So what I would say today is, if his call has struck a chord in your heart today, I want you to do something. We're going to have a moment of silent prayer. And I would like for you to take that moment of silent prayer and answer Jesus' call. Tell him. Lord, I heard what you said. I've read what you said. My answer is just tell him. Flat out. Give him your response. So let's bow in prayer. Let's be quiet before the Lord for a moment. Let's consider what these three things that he's called us to do. And then I want you to honestly share with the Lord, here's my response. Here's my answer. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you're aware of the culture in which we live. You know full well what we face. But your call on our lives is the same as it was when you walked this earth. We want to take this time to answer that call. We pray for your help. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your people to help us. So Lord, hear our prayer. And may we arise and go from this place 
with your presence, your peace, and your power on the inside into the culture in which you've called us. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.